Welcome to Hit Subscribe, a podcast by Recharge designed to educate, inspire, and connect the subscription commerce space. On this episode, we're talking with Christian Thrapp, co-founder and COO of Drift, a direct-to-consumer air care company. We chat with Christian about Drift's origins as a Kickstarter, navigating the growing pains when first starting out, how the subscription model has helped Drift's lifetime model, and the plans for the future of the brand and their products. Christian, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Give us a little bit of info about yourself and about Drift. Yeah, I am currently the Chief Operating Officer of Drift and, and co-founder. Um, Drift is a direct-to-consumer air care company. So, you know, selling air fresheners over the internet. When my mom told me to, I was, you know, I was quitting my job. I told my mom that to sell air fresheners. She uh, was a little surprised, but here we are, you know. So it's a, it's a good thing. We've been, uh, give you a little background on Drift. We've been running, we did a Kickstarter in 2016, just about. Um, just a, a small little one, me and my co-founder, Ryan Bayless, and just, just test waters a little bit while we're work, working our full-time jobs and, uh, it worked out. Everything's good to go. We picked up a little bit of investment in 2017 and, uh, 2018, we quit our jobs, started doing this full-time. So it's been a fun ride. I was going to ask you, actually, I I've heard the story that you had to tell your mom when it was an awkward conversation about selling air fresheners. What's that experience like going from a stable <laughs> job and founding this company and going into a, a, a for a D2C company, air fresheners is something like not surprising or not super normal. It's kind of, kind no, of no, yeah, not at all. So <clears throat> yeah, a little background on that. It was, it was a little crazy. Like at the time my wife was pregnant with our second child. We just bought a house. And, uh, I just got a promotion at my job. Like we were going to make some pretty good money. And like, like, Hey, we're going to go sell. We're going to try this. We're going to sell our freshness <laughs> online. So my mom's like freaking out about insurance. I'm like, look, we'll figure out insurance, you know, don't, don't worry about that. But I'm like, I absolutely have to make this work. You know, just, it gives a little, little fire to, to everything, you know, put the fire under it. So that helps a lot, you know, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reasons to make this succeed. So it made it work. All my coworkers just thought I was absolutely insane. Like, wait, you're, you're selling air fresheners? I'm like, well, <laughs> here we go. And it's it worked out right. so far. As moms usually do, a little overprotective and a little overworried. Yeah. Meanwhile, at Drift, uh, how we started is my co-founder, Ryan Bayless, and I, um, we were on a hike actually one day. We are just kind of batting around business ideas. And he turns to me and he says like, oh, I've been sitting on this, but I've kind of been waiting for the right time. And he kind of explains how he had a, a nice car for a college student, you know, back in the day. He's like, I, I loved my car. It, it looked nice. And then I'd always look at that hanger air freshener hanging from my rear view mirror. I'm like I, everything in my car, I love it. It's, it's meticulously clean. It looks great. And then I have a piece of paper hanging from my air, my, my rear view mirror. And I, I hate it. So we kind of just started going off of that idea, like, okay, well, how do we rethink how air fresheners are, are purchased, how they're used, what's the customer experience, everything like that. And he'd been sitting on it for a while. And we, we just, you know, went to the drawing board and started getting stuff. And we just understand like, oh, we don't want the tacky stuff in our car. We just want something that looks good. You know, you don't want to see a Maserati with a, a paper tree hanging from their, their rear view mirror. And so like with Ryan's, um, you know, his, he's honestly a creative genius with that, that creative genius backed with, you know, I have a little bit more of the business acumen the finances, the operations, everything like that. We kind of make like this great team to, to 
take this idea and bring it to fruition and, you know, scale it. And now, you know, we have a, an awesome company. Digging dig into Drift as a company a bit more. Um, it's a millennial focused company, obviously air fresheners. You talk more about air care and kind of a, a philosophy and a strategy around air fresheners and smelling rather than just kind of the old school, you know, hanging on your rearview mirror kind of thing. Um, what was kind of the reason behind starting it? What's some of the, some of the details around Drift as a company? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, like fragrance and scent is, it's a really important part of just like the human experience. Um, but it, honestly, it's, it's kind of left in the dust. Sometimes people, it, it's overlooked a lot of the times when it comes to the senses, you know, like taste is obviously a big one, but, but smelling and just fragrance is really important. And the ethos of the company essentially is like, let's just make all of your all of your personal scent and your home and, and your car make it really like important. And cause it, like I said, it's overlooked, but it's also really important. Um, so if we can just help you just a little bit, like, you know, have everything fluid and it just, it's working great. You know, that's what we want to do. Um, like I said, we started out with car air fresheners and we'll be moving, um, into the personal care and home and, you know, taking all these products that oftentimes are overlooked and, and just making like a fantastic experience for our customers. So everything drills back to the customer experience. I think that's a, a pretty consistent theme we see across D2C. Um, what is it about D2C that gets you so excited? Is it is it the market? Is it the actual product? What is it that made you kind of jump into this field in the first place? Yeah, the, there, there's a few things. I love the direct-to-consumer um, economy and the way that things are going a, a little bit more at this point. Um, one of the main things that I love about it is we just have direct connections with all of our customers. You know, there's no middleman there telling us, you know, what, you know, what our customers might may or may not be thinking, right? I have all the data and say like, oh, they like this. And I can email a handful of people and call like up one of our customers like, hey, like, what did you think? Why did you, you know, if you canceled, why, why did you cancel, you know, and go and improve that just that direct feedback loop is incredible. Um, as far as like the economy as a whole, like, obviously it's just, it's, it's moving that way. Uh, I, I wish I knew the numbers off the top of my head, but pre pandemic and even like a month or two into it, the percentage of share or percentage of sales online, it, it jumped through the roof, right? We had like 10 years worth of growth in e-com in a matter of months. Um, it's absolutely so like, all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a really fun market to be in right now. And it's only going to get more and more important. Um, we're, we're just at the beginning. So I like to see where it's going. So something you just said, that's really interesting. I, I want to double tap on, uh, you said calling customers wondering if, you know, why they canceled. What are the reasons there? Is that something you've actually done in the past is calling yeah. customers and talking to them? Yeah. But I, I've had my, my fair share of, of, you know, conversations with these customers and, you know, typically it's a, a pretty good conversation and we understand a little bit and other times it's, you know, there's like, well, it's whatever, they weren't as happy, but yeah, it's still good feedback and it, it's vital for, you know, for the company to understand exactly what the customers are going through. It's super cool to hear that because you assume as a founder CEO, you're busy with you know, business plans, your business busy with founding and, and mm -hmm. um, all this kind of like high level stuff, but taking the time to really understand what your customers want and what they're looking for and, and what the problems are really like you, you don't get feedback on what's working. You get feedback on what's not. So hearing those things is probably great for your brain in the long run. Yeah. Ultimately it's what's most important, right? If our customers aren't happy, then what do we have? You know, we don't have anything. And we've, we've really, we, we've taken on some money 
um, some investment, but still very, very small. It takes up a mm -hmm. very minuscule amount of our time at this point. So we can be really customer centric with, with everything that we do. And, you know, from developing products with marketing it, you know, everything just revolves around the customer and trying to make people happy. Um, you know, we've kind of taken the, the route of, yeah, let's raise less money and, and shoot for profitability versus let's, you know, shoot for a billion dollar top line and, you know, be in the red for 10 years doing that or whatever. So, and that, that's, you know, kind of the way that the direct consumer market's running a little bit as well. So it's, it's really good. Especially with everything pivoting so quick and moving so fast as it's almost doesn't make sense to take money super long-term when everything may change in a year or six months, much less. Yep. 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 For sure. So drift is subscription only. You don't do one-time products at all. What's the philosophy behind doing that? Yeah, currently um, it's kind of just the nature of the product of an air freshener. Um, in the old days when you're, you're at the checkout, you'll, buy a, you know, a little hanger for yourself and pick it up and, and head on out. But as the economy moves more to e-com, um, you kind of just need that, that, that little reminder to, just to pick it up or whatever it may be. What's nice about the product is it, it's consumable, you know, there, there's going to be a, a limit on how the longevity of the, the fragrance right. either way. So there's not a whole lot you can do about there. It's not like we're, uh, we're not like trying to plan obsolescence, like, you know, like, oh, let's get into the perfect amount. It's just the nature of the product, honestly. You know, there's only so much we can do. And if we could make one last for six months, we would do that. But, you know, you're working within some limitations of, of physics <laughs> and all that stuff. So, you know, only so much we can do. So putting people on a subscription, it, it's worked out really well for us. We've, we've tested like, okay, what if we do one-offs? And we found that the subscription model has helped our, our lifetime value uh, the most. So it, it's worked out for us. Is lifetime value kind of your gold standard metric? Is that your, your end all be all thing that you end up coming back to? Yeah, honestly, we're always looking at the, the CAC to LTV ratio and like, okay, how can we, you know, lower CAC, raise LTV and, and everybody is happy in the end. Yep. You can kind of afford to spend a bit more if your LTV is higher versus if your CAC's raising, you got to kind of make Correct. sure you're keeping them for a longer period of time. It's all right. It's funny Which, math. We got to get into those numbers later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get into it because it's not easy with an eight dollar product. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. So I understand you. You kind of have a bit of a, a Trojan horse mindset or strategy, if you will. Um, what is it about Drift that that makes you guys unique in the spot that you're in currently? And and you kind of uh, mentioned earlier you're going to start to move into home products and into, into personal care. How is the car kind of your Trojan horse in in getting into those next markets? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a, a two-pronged approach, but one of the main reasons why the car is so great is it's nobody's marketing towards the car right now, right? Part of that is because like nobody knows how to do e-com with, with car air fresheners. You know, there's probably some stuff on Amazon and everything like that, but it's really an underserved market at this point. Um, so as we, we build this up at this, we understand how to sell air fresheners to, you know, car air fresheners, right. people driving cars. Um, so we have a huge leg up when it, when it comes to that. And so it, it's a little bit easier and cheaper to build up our customer base and that car becomes the Trojan horse, right? So like, okay, we have this great, awesome car air freshener, but you still have these, let's call them subpar scents for, for home and, you know, for personal care. And we really just want to make awesome experience when it comes to the scent for everything that you're doing. 
Um, so here's the car to begin with. It's an underserved market. It's a little bit easier for us to pick up these customers. And then, you know, like, oh, hey, we actually have these candles and reed diffusers and we'll be launching some, um, you know, bigger items for the home here in just a little bit that we're, you know, kind of in the design process right now. It's like, if you already love our scents, here it is for your house, you know, or for other aspects of your life, whatever it may be. It seems like a great product strategy. I, I think we're, we're obviously TBD on whether it works or not, but everything in, in, in philosophy is there. Like you start yeah. an underserved market, you start in a really, really good product market fit. There's not a lot of people marketing to the car. Do you have any idea why the car market is underserved or it's just something that, you know, everyone's stuck at home. So no one's really driving many places just trying oh. to figure out a new market. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pandemic hasn't helped people in their cars. You know, we didn't really expect that, but it hasn't hurt our business as much as we thought it would. But I think honestly, one of the reasons is people aren't as willing to spend on their car as they are, say their home or, you know, for personal care, whatever it may be. Interesting. Um, and we're out to kind of change that, right? Cause it, it's super important. And I just don't think people, people really understand, but like, and fragrance, like the, the smell of your car is just going to change your mood. It's going to change everything and so people don't fully understand that yet and i think more importantly people companies or marketers don't fully understand that oh others they want their car to smell good you know they don't have a ton of other options out there they can take a, a really synthetic smelling cheap hanger and put it in their car but it's only going to last a couple of days and it's not going to be the best scent you know so i think part of that reason is that the options are, are really limited out there and we're breaking out of that a little bit. Do you, have you gotten feedback from anybody who's a subscriber on using the air fresheners in different ways already? Like maybe bring them into a car and I give you a guess that, or I'm sorry, bring them into your, into a house or into a room mm -hmm. for, for a bit more context. I actually am a subscriber to drift oh, uh, nice. and I had it in my car for a bit and it, it ended up like, I, I love the scent, but I was driving around a bunch and I pulled it out of my car and left it in my garage Cause I got yeah. a bunch of smelly trash cans in the garage. So I just left it in the garage. And every time I open the door now, it's fantastic. That's to yep. me much better. It feels like a home air freshener. Now it's not a car air freshener. <laughs> it just kind of bridges the gap between the two. Yeah, exactly. And for, you know, for all the listeners, we have a metal clip and a, a wood block with a magnet on it. So you can put the, the wood clip on the visor of your car and use it as your car. But then that magnet, it's, it's really useful because I have it all. I have tons. You should see it. My whole wall in my garage that there's a little metal plate just has a ton of wood blocks on there and it just smells great. <laughs> but yeah, that's usually what we hear is, you know, um, if we can't recycle these wood blocks, let's upcycle them. So a lot of people throw them in their garbage cans. I actually throw mine in my drawer. So like all my clothes just smell great when I, when I pull them out. Um, but yeah, I've heard a lot of that or, you know, if they get a little bit older, um, just put them on their desk and, and you have a little nice smelling scent there that just sits there. So it's nice. There you go. What is, what is the production cycle like, um, for creating kind of new fresheners? Do you have to go an entirely different route? Do you need new suppliers and all that? Cause you said you're going into kind of like reeds or like air fresheners for the home, like plugins. Is it, does it feel like a separate business or does it feel like you're kind of just splitting your, your products? Yeah. Um, it is a, is really, really different, right? Cause back in 2016, when we were started, I was just like hand drawing some stuff. And like, I, I personally was cutting the wood blocks, you know, and doing, <laughs> really? doing all the production. Yeah. I rented a little space that had a bunch of tools and everything and I was cutting them and I broke a ton of their machines. So they're probably, they were, 
losing money on me like crazy because I didn't know what I was doing. So I would work my full-time job, get off at like 3.30, you know, and then go to the wood shop and cut them all night. And this is when I had, you know, a, a six-month-old son. So wasn't, you know, my wife wasn't super pumped about that. But sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you do when you're, you're starting a business and working two jobs. So I was hand cutting them all. And, you know, eventually we offloaded that. So it, it helps a lot. We have our, our supplier now. But a, a wood product um, that we're kind of doing a lot of the production on is very, very different than, say, like a diffuser or something like that. Um, you know, typically those will come out of China or, or whatever. And, you know, we have a little bit more money to throw some money at R and D, uh, to help with like the design and I'm not drawing stuff and I'm not a, you know, back in 2016, I wasn't really a product designer, but, you know, learned a lot in the past few years (laughs) enough to be dangerous, um, and guide and, and lead the, the product design direction on that. But they are very different companies uh, or, or products, I should say. So at times it does feel like, um, okay, this is a whole different monster that we're, we're fighting with and, you know, and, and working with overseas suppliers and, and logistics and everything like that versus, right. you know, some, some dude cutting some wood up. <laughs> but, uh, project to a, to a couple million dollar businesses, significant yeah. change. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's so fun. And you just learn so much. Does that kind of give you a leg up when you start competing in a more saturated market? Because like you said, when you started, the the car market is underserved. As you move into the home, as you move into personal care, that becomes very saturated. Does does that initial experience help you compete in that market? Uh, that Good question. And whether it helps us compete in that market, it's taught us, if nothing else, to be really scrappy. Um, and we, we haven't gone from, you know, zero to a hundred million in two years, kind of like native deodorant did, you know, so we, it's given us a ton of time to learn and figure out all the levers that we can pull and like, okay, these are good business practices and this is what's going to help us win. Um, and as we move into the the home market and personal care, uh, those definitely will be like good lessons and advantages for us to, to take into consideration. It seems like that's kind of the key overall lesson is, is the, the natives of the world hit a home run and it's not mm-hmm. a sustainable way to grow a business. Um, to use the baseball metaphor, you can't win a world series, just hitting home runs. you got to get right. on first. got to drive runs around. It's so when, when you're pulling on those levers, when you're learning, when you're, you know, cutting the wood on yourself, it's building sustainable businesses really is what you're talking about. So then by the mm-hmm. time you split it and you go to a different product or you look at a different market, you're really already prepared to say, okay, you know, we, we know how we have this works. We know what levers we can pull on. Let's just kind of duplicate this and see what we can do over in this world. Is that fairly accurate? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now I'll add to that, you know, we, and this is just a little bit related to like growth. We, we have grown a lot, obviously. Right. Um, pretty significantly. And the nice part about that is we have a little bit of a, a parachute. So like we're, we're in a, you know, I wouldn't even call like hyper growth, but we're, we're in growth mode right now. We've grown significantly. If we want to become profitable at any point, we just marketing ramp it all the way down to zero or pull all the way back to zero. And we'll just start printing money essentially, you know? And so we're in a, we find ourselves in a really, really good spot that will enable us to become successful as we move into these other markets, because we do have that parachute it reduces a little bit of the fear like oh if i make the wrong move am i going to totally destroy this business like no 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 we're we're in a good spot 
it allows us to be a little bit more innovative, take a, a few more risks that normally, you know, we wouldn't be able to. Um, and that's going to, you know, help us a ton here in the future. You've talked about a couple roadblocks, a um, couple problems that you've seen um, kind of stemming from being mostly bootstrapped, taking a little bit of investment. Um, what are some of the other roadblocks you've seen in, in your journey from zero to where you are now? Um, and then kind of talk about how you get over and what you've learned and, and what are the next steps? Yeah. Um, being as we're, we're kind of the first company uh, to really hit it hard and, and direct consumer air care, especially with car air fresheners. So we're, we're running into these obstacles and we, we plow through them, but, you know, looking back like, Oh, whoa, that could have like absolutely like crushed our company at some point. We had no clue. We had no clue how close we were to like shutting down. Um, One of those roadblocks is we made some assumptions when we first started and we assumed that you could ship out uh, one of our wood pieces at like a letter rate through USPS through the mail. And so like, you know, we tested it. We didn't really know what we were doing. We sent a few like, oh, I guess this is, I guess this is legit. We'll ship it at 45 cents. And then our, our first batch, we dropped like 150 off at the post office and they all got kicked back immediately. We're like, oh crap, this company's done. All right, well, we have to fulfill <laughs> these Kickstarter orders or whatever we had to do. Like, all right, that was nice. Nice knowing you, Ryan. You know, I'm glad we're still friends because, you know, we'll, uh, We'll continue on some other point, but <laughs> like, yeah, it's over, whatever, you know, that was fun. Nice ride. Um, eventually it took a lot of uh, gumption and grit, but we figured out a way to shoot, to, uh, to fulfill it cheap enough to ship it cheap enough. But you know, it, the margins weren't, you know, like the 75% that we thought we were going to get or right. whatever it was going to be and like, we're like, Oh man, but just uh, through, you know, just pure will we we fought through it and, and made it work so what um, a scary you know, time. That, that helped us a lot what a scary time going from thinking you have this awesome brand and creating a product only to feel like you're going to be torpedoed by shipping costs like that's yep, that's got to exactly. be a tough one to take yep yep like well pack it up but but we figured it out you know and we we thought we were we were on the verge of being done but you know it worked out there's been tons of, uh, tons of things like that in the, in the past, you know, and we're, uh, fragrance and, and air care is a, a really tricky, um, market to play in because, you know, there's a lot of things, especially, you know, in the production being newbies, we, we had no idea. And we found out, you know, we were, we were trying to do things the right way and we were, you know, dunking stuff in, uh, in fish tanks. And I'm sure the people at Walmart, when I went and bought like 10 fish tanks, they're probably thinking I'm uh, doing something illegal or something like that. <laughs> but we, we ended up like melting fish tanks and doing all these crazy things. And, you know, we do our own fulfillment as well, which has been an obstacle in, in, in itself. Um, and that's one of those things where had we understood what we were getting into, we would never run our warehouse, um, our own warehouse. And the, fortunately, uh, we were naive at the time and we, you know, started our own warehouse and, and our own production own fulfillment. And, you know, we had no idea what we were doing, but if we understood, we never would have done it. But that honestly has become one of our best modes is because we can do it way cheaper than any other 3PL or, or co-packer or anybody that may be, we, we built the infrastructure. Um, and now we understand like, okay, this is, this is how you do it. So, uh, we're becoming a little bit more vertically integrated in, in that sense. That's super cool. That's, that feels to me like that's where a lot of change comes from is people think they could do something better 
maybe there's a little bit of naivety there and not understanding the full, full capacity of what's actually happening, but something like a three PL and doing warehousing and shipping seems like something you might want to outsource, but it just takes one person to figure out, you know, we're just going to bring this in house and do this. And all of a sudden your revenue levels change and it's a significant factor for you just because, you know, maybe you were naive about it, but it turned out to be a risk you took and it worked. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly it. I was uh, talking to my co-founder Ryan the other day and like, man, entrepreneurship, you have to have a healthy amount of hubris. Um, Cause you know, you, you're like, Oh, I can do it. I can do it better. I can do it faster. <laughs> I can do it cheaper, whatever it may be. And you end up, you just have to go and do it and it works out. And sometimes it doesn't and you find out, you know, you're not, you're not the best of the best, but I think um, that attitude can take you a long way when it comes to starting a company. That's super cool. I love the story. Um, speaking of starting a company, let's get into a couple closing questions. What is a good piece of advice you would give to a brand who's just launching maybe in your same shoes of thinking they can do something and maybe they're a little bit hubris, a little bit, a little too much pride there. Um, piece of advice you give to a, a new brand. Yeah. Well, first, and this goes for anybody that's even thinking about starting a company, just, just go do it. Right. I'm not the first one to say that, but the only difference between me and, and somebody else that hasn't started a company is I just started doing stuff or, you know, that's, that goes for anybody that started a company. You just have to just take that first step and, and go. And I think it's important, right? Cause I definitely am not like the smartest or, you know, the best with numbers or the most creative. Um, but the difference is, you know, we, we just decided to go and do it. You know, me and Ryan, we both are like, okay, we got this. We'll, we'll just go. We have, we have enough of uh, a parachute and we were fortunate enough. Like if this fails, I'll go live in my parents' basement, whatever, you know, we'll figure it out. Um, but the other side to that is like, okay, you, you've already started doing it. Okay. So testing, test everything that you possibly can do, whether it comes from creative to product, whatever it may be, just try to test it and bring out different iterations. And I think that's insanely important um, just to, get the best thing that you can possibly get out there. And you can only understand that if you're running tests and they don't have to be, uh, you know, complex tests or anything like that, but like send it out to your customers. Like, Oh, Hey, here's a product. Do you like it more or less than the other, you know, especially right in the beginning, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's great advice. I'm going to double yeah. up here. I think you just answered my second question, which was piece of advice to give to a brand scaling once they've kind of found your product market fit, how do you continue to grow? So I'm going to double up here and ask you again, what's now a second piece of advice you give for someone to kind of continue scaling and, and hit that hyper growth platform. Gotcha. Um, and this is, this is something um, I'm trying to figure out myself a little bit more and I'm, I'm understanding it more and more, but to us systems are, are very important. Right. And I'm kind of the personality of let's just go get it started. Let's just, we'll just get it. We'll be scrappy, you know? And as we we've built this thing and we're trying to scale now, these systems and processes and the organization is becoming a lot more important. Right. So those tests, they have to be a little bit more systematic and they have to have a little bit more data backing it and everything like that. Um, so I think it becomes a little bit more important. And the other side to that is not losing focus on what the customers actually want um, so if you're, we're not talking to our customers consistently, if you're, uh, just kind of you're like, oh, doing the same thing that you've always done, I think it's very easy to backslide and to not take it to that next level. 
And we're understanding that every day, like, oh, okay, we, we just have to do that 1% better, just a little bit every day, just to get a little bit better at whatever we're doing, whether it's through systems or processes and, and talking to the customers, you know, that's what kind of gets you from the, the good to the great. I think it's a really interesting combination of things that you just gave us, which were just get started, test everything. Uh, processes are super important and also staying in contact with your customers and talking to them consistently. The combo of those four things is is kind of the magic bullet. That's kind of the secret sauce. So it seems like that's what everyone's chasing is a combination of like, just get moving, but you got to kind of keep things systematic and test things, but you always have to have the customer in mind. It's uh, it's cool to see that that everyone is still working on these things, but it seems like you're definitely moving in the right, right direction. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I'll, I'll add to that is, like I said, part of my personality is like, I'll just, I'll get it up there and we'll be scrappy. And I think one piece of that is like people that you hire. So we recently brought on a, a VP of revenue and analytics. And this guy is, he's the organization and process guy, right? And he even brings back, you know, just data back decisions. And this is what we need. You know, I can hold my own in, in an Excel spreadsheet, but this guy is top notch. Right. And as you look in, as you look to scale, I think hiring these people that, that complement and enhance um, what the team doesn't currently have is is hugely critical. Hiring is is insanely critical. It's so funny to see how many people say hiring is kind of the make or break to their success. Mm-hmm. Last question for you: What physical products do you subscribe to? Ah, great question. I I, I love the ecom. So um, I think Quip is like my number one because every month that I get that <laughs> that toothbrush head, I'm like, oh. Heck yeah. Love it. You know, my <laughs> teeth feel great afterward. Uh, I also get native too. So, you know, I'm, I'm really basic when it comes to my, my subscription, but also if I could get like a subscription in some Allbirds shoes, shoes, I'd be down. I'm sure they probably even do it, but if my budget allowed a subscription in Allbirds shoes, I would there do that. <laughs> there you go. Better way to put it. Christian, thank you yeah. for joining. Really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks so much guys. We'd like to thank Christian once again for joining us. If you're interested in Drift, you can head over to drift.co. If you're looking for more of our episodes, check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe. And to get the latest episodes, remember to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from.